0: Hello. You are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why Restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Ebert with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Moloss with Restore or Retreat.
0: And Simone, it's hard to believe, but it is almost July 4th. We're already at that point of the summer. Uh, do you have big plans for the 4th?
1: So I had this funny conversation. I was like, oh yeah, blah, 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 July. And somebody's like, uh, yeah, that's Tuesday or Thursday. <laughs> I was like, where? Oh, Uh, (laughs) OK. No, no big plans. It's been kind of you wouldn't know this shock, but it's been kind of rainy here almost every day. And so um, while it's good for the plants, it kind of gets old. So I think people aren't sure of what the what the weather's going to be like this weekend. Are there some big Fourth of July plans up there?
0: Yeah, you know, um, Minnesota is all about lake culture, I guess, at least during the summer, which is uh, something that's new. You know, we grew up in, on our bayous and going to the the beach in Florida or, you know, just a little bit different uh, in Louisiana. So um, I'm starting to embrace lake culture completely. So I think we'll be at a cabin on a lake somewhere, probably on a boat. Um, so, nice. you know, different body of water, but probably similar activities to what we would be doing in Louisiana. Um, so...
1: So this weekend, we, we took a little day trip. We, a friend of ours um, uh, invited us to go to Bay St. Louis. And they they kind of have a similar thing, Jacques. It was like totally different from me. They had like a little ski boat and they kneeboarded. They had stand-up paddle boarding, like stuff like that. And it was like, it's so funny because when you live in New Orleans, there's the lake and you could sail and there's city park and you can walk. Like it's just so amazing how many different personalities um, that we have just right in our little area of things that you could do but it did remind me kind of more of a like a lake culture
0: yeah yeah well then lake culture i guess means something different in louisiana and new orleans too right <laughs> you got you've got your river people you got your lake yeah. people so yeah. that's great well regardless of what you do i hope you know the rain um you know clears up for you all and you have a beautiful fourth of july but i'm so excited to talk about um this topic that we're discussing today you know um We're having two, I believe, first-time guests onto the podcast, and we're talking about a a really exciting event that we mentioned in an earlier show that happened last week. So why don't you kick us off, Simone, and tell us who we're talking to and what we're going to be talking about today.
1: Sure, sure. We were up to a couple of things last week. Um, we had a busy week, but I made sure to tune into um, as many of the webinars that we could during Louisiana's first wind week. And it was a series of online webinars focused on offshore wind and and how Louisiana um, can look towards the future with it. And so it was a great setup every day, um, the same time every day. It had presentations, panel discussions, and q and I have to say that they had some real rock star presenters on the panel. They had a real diverse group. And so I'm excited to talk to um, Harry and Joe today um, about that. And so just by way of introduction, Harry Vorhoff is the deputy director of Louisiana's the Governor's Office of Coastal Activities. And Joseph Ogeron is actually a state representative in the Louisiana House of Representatives, representing District 54, which includes Jefferson and Lafourche Parish. Joe's got a a much uh, richer background than that, and I'm excited to talk to him about it. Um, So welcome to Delta Dispatches, Harry and Representative Ogeron.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for having us.
1: Um, So um, we're going to ask you a little bit about your backgrounds, but um, Representative Ogeron, can I call you Joe or Joe O? Because I'm going to do it anyway.
3: <laughs> Let's go ahead with Joel. That's what you've been calling me. It. Early retreat days. Might as well.
1: Jacques um uh, uh, Joe surprises me all the time he's like um hey on that last delta dispatches and I'm like oh my gosh you listen you really listened to us <laughs> so Joe, Joe is truly an avid listener um unlike Harry's boss over there in the in the governor's office of coastal activities so um Joe let's start with you why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh
3: born and raised on the bayous uh graduate from uh, our Harvard on the Bayou, Nichols, Nichols State, uh, got a degree in physics and moved away from the Bayou in short for about 10 years, five years in Dallas while I got my PhD and then another five years uh, for Eminem Mars, the candy company, and uh, lived in New Jersey at that time. And let's just say having a young family and, uh, and, and experiencing four full seasons as Jock will now get to <laughs> Minnesota uh, after a while, you know, having to having to use a snowblower and stuff like that is not what a Cajun boy wants. So with the young family, I opted to move back to Louisiana and join the family business uh, in in offshore vessels, servicing They're originally the oil and gas company, then looking uh, to do things in uh, in other markets. And that's how I got into offshore wind.
1: Okay, hold that story. We want to hear more about that, but let's get to Harry. Harry, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. Uh, I
2: am a New Orleans native, uh, born and raised there. Uh, went up to Philadelphia for an undergraduate uh, degree at the University of Pennsylvania, then came back down uh, for Tulane Law School, which I focused on environmental law. I stayed over at uh, Tulane after graduating and worked as a fellow at their Water Law Institute uh, with Mark Davis. Uh, And then I moved over to uh, state government and joined the Louisiana Attorney General's office, working in their lands and natural resources section and then their environmental section for for about five years uh, before making a jump uh, over to the governor's office. Last year, uh, my first day uh, on the job was the first day of COVID,
1: quarantine, lockdown.
2: Harry! <laughs> so it was an interesting uh, drive up to get my computer and my, my cell phone uh, for work and then turned right around. Go home, huh? Went right <laughs> home. It was an eerie drive on the 10.
0: Well, it is an honor to have both of you on the show and hopefully this will be the first of many appearances. Um, and so we want to get to the topic at hand, which is the first ever Win Week, which wrapped up last Friday, that you were both uh, very involved in. So let's start with you, Harry. How did the idea of a Win Week for Louisiana come about?
2: So last uh, fall, the governor requested that BOEM stand up, uh, and that's the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, which uh, manages all the offshore energy leasing for the United States, he requested that Boehm stand up this Intergovernmental Renewable Energy Task Force and uh, to begin evaluating offshore wind in the Gulf of Mexico. And really that uh, came about based on these two uh, studies earlier last year that really identified the Gulf of Mexico as having uh, a ton of technical potential for offshore wind energy and the right supply chains and existing workforce to really make it economically viable. And so in uh, conversations with uh, the Gulf of Mexico regional office with BOEM, as well as developers and stakeholders, the idea of supplementing uh, the BOEM task force, which had their first meeting uh, on June 15th, to follow that up with some additional engagement of really of stakeholders and bring those uh, stakeholders into the conversation because the the BOEM task force only involves uh, in government employees and so uh, we really recognize the the need to kind of fill fill a void in terms of connecting um, our, our existing stakeholders, users of the Gulf, uh, the environmental NGO community, you know, to the table to really uh, begin to have this conversation about offshore wind energy.
1: So Harry, like, um, if you look at the panel day by day, each day is is pretty significant in itself. You've got some great, great players to participate in the panel, but then, then you did that for five days straight. So tell us a little bit about um, how, like what, theme of the day and then how you align some of those folks i'm assuming some folks were very willing to come on
2: they were all very uh very excited to engage and you know nobody's called us out for only doing seven days of the week and just sticking to the the work week um but yeah i mean really i think there's a lot of excitement around offshore wind energy uh, you know not only kind of nationally but really in the gulf of mexico um and so we thought it would, it would be appropriate to kind of run through each day of the, the week and kind of tee up a separate issue, so we can really do a, a deeper dive and you know have something that is both you know a deep dive, but only two hours of your day to to make it kind of digestible. Um, and so focusing you know on the everything from the leasing process, just to demystify some of the leasing uh, kind of steps in the process, both for state and federal waters. You know, environmental impacts, particularly looking at our aquatic species and avian species, uh, stakeholders, you know, offshore fishing, uh, the fishing industry, you know, is critical. And, you know, the Gulf of Mexico, as we all know, is a, is a working coast. And so we recognize that you know, there are a ton of existing stakeholders out there that uh, have been operating for years, decades, uh, or centuries, really. And, uh, you know, a new addition, there's always room for a new addition. We just need to, you know, have conversations early and, uh, make sure that, you know, we are avoiding conflicts uh, as much as possible.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's certainly, um, something that Simone and I talk a lot about on the show, right? Which is just how many areas of our lives, of our work, um, intersect, you know, the coast, right? In Louisiana, and I'm sure in dealing with an, an issue like wind energy, it brings together a whole set of stakeholders that can kind of have discussions around that issue so you each were able to speak on a panel uh during win week so let's start with you representative ogeron Um, tell us a little bit about your panel and and also in your your role on on the overall first ever louisiana win week
3: well harry had asked me to uh, be the moderator for the uh the, the friday uh one of the two friday panels uh, that was basically all related to the supply chain and the types of businesses that, uh, that you know, have interest in, in continuing to develop uh, offshore wind in Louisiana. And it's, you know, the, the same companies that for the last 10 years have been helping develop offshore wind up on the East Coast or the, the little bit of offshore wind that has been developed up on the East Coast. We could not have been done without many Louisiana companies, and a lot of people don't realize that. But uh, the the fact that uh, that over the the course of our oil and gas offshore energy infrastructure construction and engineering and service companies, it's a lot of the same uh, talents. Uh, whether it be in you know, like I said, engineering or shipyard or or offshore uh, service vessels, uh, those those same talents are required both uh, up on the East Coast to get it done. As as we had, and and as well as uh, in the future here in the Gulf of Mexico. So basically, just walking through the the panel that I moderated on Friday, and walking through the the various stages, and having one great panelist for each one of those stages of the development of an offshore wind project, that being siding and permitting, then design, then construction, and then actually. Uh, um, construction of the of the components and then installation and then finally operations and maintenance and having the five panelists that we had was was fantastic and each of them were able to provide some information on what they have done up on the east coast to date as well as looking forward in the future in Louisiana and it pretty much came down to how much easier it will be to do this right here in your own is
1: pretty much what it all bowled down. To. Yeah, Joe, that that's a good point, well said. I mean, um, just listening to some of the panels and I'm like, oh geez, the details. I didn't really thought about that or I didn't think about that. Well well obviously somebody else had, but resounding across the board, people like, Oh, yeah, but in Louisiana, it'll be like this, this that and oh, y'all have already done that. So it's like that, like that. So I thought it was incredibly detailed yet, um, very optimistic and like really kind of that go get them attitude that Louisiana has about most things, you know, so I I think your last point was was very well said. Um, So I'm going to ask both of y'all this because y'all might each have a different take on this. Um, And we'll start with Harry. But Harry, how how big of a deal is it for a state like Louisiana to be leading on an issue like this?
2: I mean, it's huge. Um, Really, not only from an economic standpoint, which, you know, there is fantastic economic potential uh, for existing companies to diversify their portfolio, uh, to continue to work in, in Uh, the gulf of mexico uh, on energy projects and so you know adding in uh, offshore wind to uh, existing oil and gas operations is huge Uh, but it also uh, is really poised to play a big role in the governor's second term coastal priority of really getting at the root uh, cause of climate change and uh, really moving the needle in terms of reducing the state's greenhouse gas emissions
1: so, Joe, what about you? I mean, from your perspective, um, just as, as as somebody who was involved in this, but also from your position in the Louisiana legislature, how what how big of a deal is it for a state like Louisiana to be leading?
3: Well, I think it's a it's a very big deal. And, uh, you know, just like tomorrow, I'll maybe actually meeting with Harry and. Whether he realizes or not, but write that down on my
1: calendar.
3: <laughs> part, part of the, the desire to meet is uh, it's been brought up by people who have looked into. I want to do. Uh, let me take you back. Block Island was a state project, and of course, everything we're doing. With so Rhode
1: the, Island, though, right? Rhode like, Island, yeah. it was <laughs> the
3: state of Rhode Island, uh, within water, within state waters, two point nine miles next to the three mile border, and Louisiana has that same border. And there's companies now that want to do a state, uh, Louisiana state project, and that requires them to basically abide by the state, uh, you know, Department of Natural Resources laws, and and they need to be, let's just say, updated to be more offshore wind friendly, and that's that's basically the the, the crux of tomorrow's meeting is just basically uh, where the problem points are and how to resolve them. So as a state legislator, this is you know prime prime ground for me to plow and. And help cultivate for uh, to ease the the process of Louisiana moving into this arena uh, beyond. I mean, I always look at it as state waters is like your front yard. You do it, you know, real nice and cute and cost effective. And of course, the bone, the uh, the OCS with all the, the big backyard that we have, especially in Louisiana, we have lots of shelf property uh, that we could we could do a lot of this potential work going out further into the future. So. Uh, just looking to uh, at least start on the Louisiana aspect of it and uh, and make it make it viable for for people to be able to invest in, in at least a pilot project to start.
1: Yeah, several times on some of those panels, the point was made about state versus federal boundaries. And, and some things don't care about that, right? Fish, uh, birds, you know, and and so that's an interesting point. But it is two different maybe systems that you have to navigate. And um, how do you how do you eat an elephant, I guess, one, one bite at a time, but those Details do have to be figured out, and so um, that is a, a very special perspective that that you can bring to that. The federal
3: elephant is a lot bigger than the state.
1: Elephant.
3: <laughs> that's, why, that's why Block Island did with the. I mean, that's why Rhode Island.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So, Harry, um, can you talk about how the, the the opportunities that were highlighted at the win week um, fit into the larger priorities for the current administration, and what are some of those like opportunities that you all are working on in the years ahead?
2: Certainly. So I already mentioned that, you know, this really is a component of the governor's greater effort to uh, address uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And, and really, uh, this is a second term coastal priority of the governor's because really getting at the root cause of climate change gets at the root cause of sea level rise and more intense storms uh, coming knocking at our front door. And so really from a a coastal perspective. It's critical that we, you know, do all that we can to uh, maximize the longevity of our restoration and protection projects uh, that are just critical to our coastal communities and our way of life down in South Louisiana. So, um, the governor created a 23 member uh, task force to work over the course of uh, about 15 months to develop policies uh, that the governor can implement or uh, promote to uh, put Louisiana on that path to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. And so uh, we are working you know, with this task force uh, to to generate those policy proposals, uh, and we'll have a, a climate action plan uh, on the governor's desk by February 1st of next year.
1: Um, Harry, I w- I'm going to go back to that in just a little bit, but I, I want to um, go back to something with Joe for a second. Joe, I know um, we talked about, you know, graduate of Nichols, and um, I know that, that you're very loyal to our university here. Is, can you, like, touch on maybe some of the educational opportunities associated with wind and, and other kinds of things moving forward with alternative technology?
3: Uh, well, I guess the the first thing that's closest to me is, for the last eight years, I've been teaching uh, in the, the business uh, administration department as an adjunct professor, teaching in that maritime management, which which started off as just basically four-year degree, four-year business degree seekers, uh, wanting to get uh, more knowledge in the maritime industry that you know that was primarily oil and gas vessel operations. And then in the in the, the downturn, oil and gas downturn, 2016, 17, I started changing the the presentations and the slides for that class to involve more brownwater river, uh, push boat and you know, grain barges and, and things up and down the river. And and actually we started getting more people from uh, uh, Archer's Daniel Midlands and, and companies that operate on the river, basically coming and recruiting some of the, the those uh, those business administration graduates and then in the last two years I've actually me being more involved in offshore wind and, and uh, you know a, a proponent of uh, offshore renewables for Louisiana jobs I've started uh, basically increasing that as part of my uh, my curriculum in, in teaching so now I would say it's a, a third, Louisiana offshore oil and gas and the vessels associated with that. A, a third is, is uh, brown water, river pushing, and the, the final third is every type of vessel that's involved in uh, in offshore wind, uh, you know, the, the various stages that I spoke about. So that, that's, that's a change I did on my part. Beyond that, I think the Coastal Institute will be a real important uh, that, that's being built at Nichols and uh, just you know, I'm I'm thrilled with knowing that uh, in the end, Louisiana, South Louisiana, our home area of Thibodeau and, and Bayou Lafourche will become kind of a center of expertise in co- coastal resiliency and uh, coastal restoration. So proud to be part of it.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the Nichols Coastal Center. We're going to have to make sure that we have those guys on as a guest fairly soon. At some point, Shock's going to like totally catch on that um, our last guest was a Nichols grad. Um, our guest before that was a Tulane Law grad, which my husband was and Harry is too. And so he's good. These are definitely have some Simone imprints on the last couple of shows. He's going to call me out sooner or later. But I do want to get the the Nichols Coastal Center folks on to talk about the exciting work there. I want to thank the Louisiana Legislature for for dedicating significant funding for that and that effort was certainly led by um by harry's boss chip klein and and a few others so that's a whole other show for a whole another day but it's interesting joe that you see though you your teaching reflects those trends that that we also see on the ground but you can also see kind of on the community college front with this move towards um you know, certificates and and kind of the technical education that goes towards that. And we learned in Coastal um, that, you know, you operate a marsh buggy, um, then you can do that for an oil and gas project or you can do that for a coastal project too. So we'll also have to have some workforce folks on to talk about that as well. But I want to ask you guys, I mean, I want to be sure to tell the truth here. And I I want to ask each one of you individually you know, I guess we'll start with Harry. Harry, what is, I guess, if you had to identify the major challenge for expanding offshore wind here in Louisiana, if you had to identify one thing that you really need to overcome, what would that be?
2: So in the near term, I would say cost. Um, offshore wind is more expensive than onshore wind or onshore solar or natural gas. Um, so that's kind of the near term. Um kind of hurdle. Uh, And then long term, I would say that, you know, we need to make sure that we are avoiding impacts to, you know, our uh, existing users, I think, you know, commercial fishing um, and aquatic species, as well as, uh, you know, the avian species, birds, bats, and, and the like.
1: Joe, what do you think?
3: I think that the extremely low cost of energy that we have here around the Gulf Coast uh, is uh, it kind of ties in with what Harry said—the economics of the situation—and uh, the, uh, you know, having been up on the East Coast and done done citing and permitting jobs like going to take core samples and having well enough room for the coring team, but having to make additional rooms for all the avian studies and marine mammal watches. I know how important that is. And, you know, it it didn't take long for me to think about, I know Jacques loves the birds and stuff, but the, the the, the flyways that we have and the migrations that happen right through, I mean, right, you know, west of here, between here and the Texas border, uh, is where we in Louisiana would probably put wind turbines. So I have some concerns in, about, uh, you know, what effects that would have. But, uh, but beyond that, it, it's, for me, it's the, the economies, the, the economics of it. I would, you know, I'm a, I'm a free enterprise capitalist person. I'd rather a project get its, get its legs without, with as little governmental subsidies as possible. But, I, you know, I understand that in this particular day and age that we're, we're kind of driving uh, a little bit of, of, of the ball is being driven by the uh, the politics of the situation. But I, I really like I really like whenever I hear of uh, economies of scale and cost, overall cost of production dropping and it just becoming much more uh, economical and, and, and profitable to put the, the, you know, alternative forms of, uh, of energy out there.
0: You know, Representative Ogeron, I'm so impressed because some people claim to be avid listeners of Delta Dispatches, but you're clearly showing yeah. that you are, He's a real you, deal. you've you come prepared, you've done your homework, and, and you know what you're talking about there. So appreciate that so much. More prepared than me. Exactly. <laughs> more prepared than the hosts sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, in talking about some of those challenges, you know, clearly this is um, in a lot of ways new for Louisiana, but there's been a tremendous amount of interest as was demonstrated in the, the last week's events, as well as just... Uh, general coverage and, and um, attention to wind energy in the Gulf. So, you know, and, and thinking about that and thinking about the questions people have, right, about how this is going to work and how how it's uh, going to affect various sectors or, you know, the opportunities to be involved in the work. Um, can you talk a little bit, Harry, about the opp- opportunities for engagement and public forums and, and really how you're working to engage, you know, both the public and then key stakeholders on uh, this path towards wind energy in Louisiana?
2: Certainly. So there's a, a couple different avenues uh, to to engage. The the Governor's Climate Initiatives Task Force uh, is continuing to meet through the summer. Our next meeting is uh, July 29th, where we'll uh, really kind of go over priorities, high-level strategy priorities. Uh, and then as we move into the later part of the summer and fall, we'll, we'll start to identify policies uh, that can really help uh, spur development of, of renewables and low-carbon uh, technologies. Uh, but with respect to, to wind specifically, I know uh, BOEM is already starting to think about its next task force meeting, and we're talking about opportunities to engage you know specific stakeholders. And so uh, nothing kind of crystallized there, but really I, I think we'll be trying to, to meet in person and kind of get out uh, into and meet people where they are, um, and kind of have conversations. And it's kind of both, uh, it's information sharing both, you know, us sharing information on kind of the leasing process, the wind, where the wind resources is good, but also, you know, us listening and learning about how the, you know, folks, you know, currently use the Gulf, you know, the time of year, you know, how far out they go, what, you know, what kind of trawls they use, um, you know, do they use the bottom or just kind of the, the water column, that kind of thing. And um, really, you know, what we've seen uh, on the East Coast and in particular is, you know, the earlier you, you engage folks, the easier it is to, to avoid conflicts completely. Um, and, or, you know, in the first instance, and then for the things that you don't, you hopefully you uh, or you can't, you, you have built up a good enough rapport to where you can work together.
1: so um, harry can you remind folks um before we go before we wrap this up um what people should expect next from the state's climate initiative Task force
2: uh certainly so um i mentioned we have our, our meeting uh, our next meeting july 29th um and we'll really be moving from this high level you know strategy of you know promoting renewables you know uh, looking at uh, carbon capture you know, developing carbon capture technology in a responsible way uh, you know the the value, the carbon value of coastal restoration, um, and kind of looking at these high level strategies. Um, and then, kind of as we move into the fall, we'll be uh, looking at uh, kind of developing those specific policies, whether it's a you know for a legislative package or for you know new rulemaking through uh, state agencies, or really holding up you know things that really are, are best hel- you know best handled on. Uh, a federal or, or international level, because this is, you know, this is a global effort. Um, and so we'll have our final report in February. Uh, uh, we'll approve it in January. And so the, the pub- we'll have a public uh, input period in the, this fall, likely in, in November, uh, to really hear from uh, the public on, on whether this meets the mark in terms of you know, a balanced suite of, of uh, policies. So we're really excited. We uh, hope that you continue to, you know, folks uh, engage. And, you know, we're moving to, you know, in-person meetings, but also uh, planning to continue to have, you know, to uh, broadcast it virtually so folks can continue to attend, uh, even if they're not coming in person. But we really want to hear hear from folks um, on, on kind of where they would like the, the state to go in terms of a, a low-carbon future.
1: And, and, Harry, I just want to say kudos. Y'all have done a great job of trying to make sure that y'all have accessible information and making sure that it's, you know, uh, I think y'all started a YouTube page to make sure that people could have, you know, attend those meetings virtually if needed. Um, but for our listeners, if you want to find more information, um, you can go to the Office of the Governor and they have a Climate Initiatives Task Force page there. It starts at gov, And from there, you can just Google Climate Initiatives Task Force. It has the uh, last meeting information, and it has information on public comments and notices.
2: That's great. Thank you, Simone.
1: So, Joe, I got to, um, you know, give you props for for not just being uh, an elected official. Thank you for serving. But also, you serve me at Restore Retreat um, as a board member. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that aspect of what you do. Um, so you're a board member. We have good, fun discussions a lot. Um, I absolutely love Grand Isle and love doing things um, in your district. So, Tell me, what excites you about about what's happening in the state's pro- coastal program or even what's happening in your district or locally? Let's talk about coastal just okay. for a second. Well,
3: two things, two, two prongs, I would say. Number one is, uh, you know, my coastal district of Grand Isle, Fouchon, and, you know, the supporting communities of uh, Houma, Terrebonne and areas have a rich history of, uh, you know, basically being, Support, supporting the offshore energy uh, production area. And you know I'm, I'm, this, this is just you know, an, an additional aspect that of, of uh, offshore renewable energies adding to the portfolio. I'm not trying to, no one's trying to replace, we're just em, fully embracing the all of the above and basically making use of all these great talents that we've honed and evolved into over the last 50 years and just moving it to a, to continue uh, what we've been doing, and, and just doing it in a in a slightly with a slightly different set of uh, of equipment space, but but basically doing the same thing. So continuing to have the economy, uh, you know, growing is is the first and foremost thing, and then with that, the the protection of and restoration of our coast is probably the second most important thing. And what CPRA d- does and the funding that we get for CPRA, of course, comes from things like GoMesa and having some input on uh, new, uh, uh, new regs that are coming out or new policies that are coming out like the RISE Act, uh, which is uh, set to basically also, just as we get royalties from oil and gas to, to basically go towards coastal restoration, the Rise Act is another one that basically is kind of like the wind energy equivalent, so that coastal states can get money to help uh, improve their the, the coastal resiliency and environment from offshore energy productions of other types. And uh, to me, you know that that is great. I just I just want Louisiana to be ground zero for uh, for you know more uh, energy production for the for the nation. and and us be able to, to improve our course in the process.
1: Well, Joe, all seriousness, thank you for being a coastal advocate. Thank you for supporting Restore Retreat as a, as a board member. Um, you're, you're, I love our talks. I also want to say Joe gets his hands dirty. He came clean the beach with me and he brought his lovely wife along and, and a family friend. And so I have to say, Joe is not afraid um, to roll up his sleeves and, and get his hands dirty for things that he loves. Simone, so thank you for being passionate. Thank
3: you. Before we close, well, I want to, I want to also congratulate Harry. Whenever I was first asked to do the moderation of the panel, I thought it was just one day, and it wasn't. Until, <laughs> it wasn't until my head popped up completely out of the, the post-session meetings and activities oh, that, okay. I re- that I realized, oh, the, you know, it starts on Monday and it's every day. So, so Harry, congratulations for running the marathon. I thought we were just sprinting, but uh, now I realize that the marathon, the marathon that you ran, and did a great job for Louisiana. Thank you. Yeah, yeah i sure you. hope Harry
1: knows the bar he set for himself too, right? I well, mean, <laughs> it, was, it was a relay.
3: I, I was thankfully
2: able to pass the the, the moderating path on over to Representative Ogeron. I think people were uh, had enough of my moderation of my voice uh, by by the third day. Um, but it was really a group effort, and you know that the panels were just um, the members of the panels were just fantastic, and you know they're all bringing in different uh, you know experience and knowledge and. Really, that's what it takes to, you know, start something new in the Gulf of Mexico with, you know, developing an additional uh, new source of energy. Um, it's going to require kind of an all hands on deck. And, and at least, you know, everybody needs to be engaged and aware and and sharing ideas and uh, concerns early.
1: Well said, Harry. Well said. Well, look, you guys know the drill. We're We're coming to a close here. Fun question. Joe knows it. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, if you didn't know it, you should have seen it yesterday on the nope. show, Doc. But <laughs> so so um, uh, it's my turn and I'll ask a question. I, I have a similar question, but I'm going to ask each one of you kind of your own individual question. So, Harry, as I understand it, um, you took Chip to um, Parkway to have some boys. So going to need to know your favorite favorite um, thing to eat there. Po'boy.
2: Well, I've been a long time advocate of the surf and turf. You got the mm-hmm. roast beef, debris, add in uh, fried shrimp. Uh, you can't,
1: can't oh go my wrong God. With that. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> hungry. Like my, I'm like, my mouth is watering. <laughs> that is definitely my
0: favorite. And I will say, I mean, because I always am like roast beef or fried shrimp, you know? And you don't have to choose. So you get the best of both worlds.
2: That's the truth. Get it fully dressed and then uh, get ready for a nap after.
1: <laughs> that's a that's a multiple napkin meal also so. <laughs> all right joe i'm going i'm going to your beloved grand Isle favorite snowball at megan's
3: uh usually something like blue coconut or uh, wedding cake or something like that you yeah.
1: know you switch it up yeah, i so. do i do I like it. I like it. Well, Jacques, I'll, with those answers, says a lot about both of you. <laughs> yeah. And and also note that Jacques and I have answered these questions and then almost always um, refuse to answer the questions as well on both sides of that. So, um, but Jacques, I'll let you close out with both the coastal stat and the coastal voice. of the. Yeah, world. of
0: course. And, you know, now I really want a surf and turf pull boy and a snowball. So thank you both for those answers. Um, And thank you for being on the show today. We'd love to have you back at any point to talk more about the great work you're doing on Louisiana's coast and and kind of on wind energy and and everything else. And with that, I'll give this week's coastal stat of the week. And it is that the National Renewable Energy Laboratory has found that the Gulf has enough technical wind energy to produce twice the power currently consumed by Gulf states. A single 600 megawatt offshore wind project could support approximately 4,470 jobs with 445 million in gross domestic product during construction and an ongoing 150 jobs with 14 million GDP annually from operation and maintenance labor, materials, and services. Um, And this week's Coastal Voice comes from John in Thibodeau. And John says, the Louisiana coast and the lands and waters feeding it are home to unique histories and cultures. And when regarding the economic value of the coast, to the national and state economy, we must also remember its human economy as home to taxpayers, workers, and the people government intends to serve. And I think we all can agree with John on that. And just a reminder, you can go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash restore the dash coast and share your voice at any point letting us know why louisiana's coast is important to you and we might just share it on an upcoming episode so with that i'd like to thank our guests again so much for being on representative ogeron as well as harry vorhoff you're more than welcome to come back at any point i hope you all have a very safe and happy fourth of july and we will see y'all later alligators